I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you were called and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. I want to take Ephesians 4 verse 5 where it says, one Lord, one faith, and what one baptism. You know, Pentecost was an unprecedented Christian experience. And it was called, as we've seen in our reading, one baptism. You see, Peter assured the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem when they had questioned the Gentiles' baptism. And he told them that the same Spirit that fell on them on the day of Pentecost was the same Spirit that fell on the Gentiles. In Acts 11, again, we see Peter, he's in Joppa praying, and he received a vision And then three men came to him. Uh, They were sent for him and to bring him to Caesarea. And he went with them and they took him to a house. Now in the house they spoke of how they were told to ask for Simon, whose surname was Peter. And here he was with them. And this is what Peter said to them in Acts 11. He, He preached to them. And then in Acts 11, 15, it says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Again, this was confirmed in Acts 10, 44, 46. When Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. You see, we know that the Jews back then, in fact, down through their history, have been a kind of and it's not too strong a word, an elitist nation, they, they believe that it's them and them only that God will bless. It's them and them only that God was going to use. And so this was a shock to them when those who were not of their nation began to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And even at first for the apostles, it took some convincing. But Peter uh, assured them and other uh, apostles or disciples, whatever you want to call them, they assured them that this was the same spirit which had fallen from God on them and now was filling what we refer to as the Gentile nations. And they were speaking with tongues. You know, new tongues, or sorry, tongues edify the speaker. And here we see when they spoke in tongues, it was a sign to glorify and to magnify the Lord. So although they were being built up, but people were seeing this, and this ministry of the Spirit was glorifying God. And it's sad today, and I would say the majority of churches, that if someone speaks in tongue, they see it as you're a fool or you've been easily fooled and this is not of God. And yet, in the New Testament, it was to glorify God. I wasn't speaking to him personally, but speaking to a friend, we both have a pastor who's a friend, and he stopped the ministry of tongues in his church because it was just taking over the church And certainly, if it was that way, then we understand. But I would rather teach the people than stop the ministry of tongues. But sadly today, there's people who do not want the ministry of tongues. Despite the fact that it glorifies God. 
It glorifies God. It, it certainly edifies the individual, but it glorifies God. And as I've said, <clears throat> Peter emphasized this, the apostles emphasized this, and the evidence was that when these people were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were speaking in tongues, was showing that the same baptism, as I've said, that they received on the day of Pentecost was now being poured out to those who had been saved, baptized in the name of Jesus, and now filled with the Holy Ghost. You see, for God to pour out His Spirit, there's no distinction. There's no race differentiation. There's no requirements of those who sought baptism of the Holy Ghost, only faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We remember Simon when he seen how the, the apostles had laid their hands on the people, and we'll look at that in a minute, in Samaria, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and he wanted to buy this gift. He wanted to pay them money so that he could do this also. But you cannot buy this gift. No one else can give you this gift. We said a week or two ago, about a certain individual in America who was asking people to come over to America and bring a lump of coal with them, and he was going to empower them with the Holy Ghost. Church, with respect, it's God empowers people. It's God that pours out the Holy Ghost, and it's God that rains down and brings His people through. So the importance for the church being filled with the Holy Ghost, it cannot be overemphasized. We've seen it was God's plan for the Latter-day Church. And church, the devil is destroying lives out there. He's taking, I believe he's taking advantage of the situations in the world to spread his lies and, and his deceit. And these are destroying men and women. There's a film, church. You'll not see it on any of the media giants because uh, they won't show it. And any of the TV channels, you won't see it. But I think the guy's name that produced it and directed it was a guy called Matt Welsh, and he's a friend of Ben Shapiro. And I would recommend you go on and watch the film. But the film is called What is a Woman? All the American critics who normally would watch films and give a critique of the film, they refuse even to watch it because of the title alone and because of his background. And in that film, there's some clips you can see which are really disturbing, and they're showing how the devil is destroying people's lives. There was one man on there dressed as a woman, lipstick and a beard, and he said that he uh, self-identified as a woman. But then in his interview, he said he self-identified as a wolf. So he's a wolf and he's a woman. And you know something? That mind is troubled with the greatest respect. I pray for him. Lives like that are being destroyed. There was a educational psychologist, an American girl, and I would guess it must have been California. And she was saying that there's children coming into school. I mean, please look us up because I know you're not going to believe me. They self-identify as a cat. And if the teacher asks them a question, they purr. And listen to this, the teacher is not allowed to say anything. Not allowed to church Okay, it's, it's in America, brother, I know. But it's just an example of how the devil is ruining lives. And we need to be empowered to take on the devil. You look at the economy of the world, it's falling apart. They're even talking now about food shortages. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I'm wondering what on earth is going on? 
Well, I believe the devil's going on. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against power, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And church, we cannot defeat them on our own. We cannot defeat them on our own wisdom. We cannot defeat them on our own strength. We cannot defeat them on our own power. And that is why God wants to pour out to you, to me, the Holy Ghost, to empower us to take on the devil and his works. Peter, again, talking in 1 Peter 5 and 8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. He's devouring lives. He's destroying lives. Church, I've said this several times. In Northern Ireland, what they call psychotic medication, it's never been as high as many people taking it. That's antidepressants and stuff like that there. It's never been as high. What's going on in the world? I believe people have no hope. They have no identity. They can't say anything. They're afraid of offending someone. They have no identity whatsoever. They don't know who they are. They don't know where they're going. And that's why it's important for us to, to, to call upon the Lord, to seek the Lord, to seek the infilling of the Holy Ghost, that we might reach out to these people, that as we worship and as we pray and as we praise, the Holy Ghost will fall and convict them and bring them on to Himself. The Lord is equipping His church with the outpouring of the Spirit that we might triumph over the devil and triumph over the works of the devil. We don't want to see lives destroyed. We want to see people restored into that fellowship that, that we talked about once we were far off because of our sins, but now we have brought, been brought nigh by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, on a Saturday afternoon, take a walk down Royal Avenue in Belfast. As you go down Royal Avenue, just across from Castle Court, there's a street, I don't know the name of it, it takes you down in towards North Street. You can walk, take a walk down there and see lives destroyed. Young men, young women lying there in their own vomit, or else walking about, they haven't a clue who they are, where they are, they're that high on drugs. Church, that is the devil's work. And we need a move of God. We need a move of God. But how do you receive? We looked at how you receive the Holy Ghost, by the laying of hands, by the hearing of the Word. But I want to look this morning at some common questions asked about the gifts of the Spirit. And one, the main question I always get asked is the gift of the Holy Spirit a salvation experience or an after-salvation experience? And what they're asking is, and what some people try to tell me is, that when you're saved, Christ comes and dwells in you, so you have the Holy Spirit. So they don't believe there's a need for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, if we state that it is a salvation experience, then we receive the, the gift of the, when we receive the gift of the, the, the Holy Spirit, then I believe if we're saying that, I believe we're wrong. Because we'll be saying, therefore, that, the, that salvation must come by the laying on of hands. Because the Word of God says, when the, the elders laid the hands or the apostles laid on the hands, they received the Holy Spirit. So their uh, argument, I would say, falls apart because it says, therefore, that it doesn't matter they prayed the sinner's prayer they're not saved until the Spirit is in them because that's part of the salvation experience. So it, and one cannot be taken away from the other. But the Word of God says differently. Acts 8 verse 16. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them 
and they received the Holy Ghost. So here we see, and the Bible can answer uh, for itself. Here we see that they were saved. They were saved. And not only were they saved, they had followed the Lord's command and had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We asked them, was the laying on of hands confirmation that they were now fully saved and that they could receive the Holy Ghost? I, I state that because there are churches who teach that you are not saved until you speak in tongues, I think that's wrong too, by the way. And we see this. In Acts 19, Paul came to Ephesus and he found certain disciples. And he asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Again, separating that, that initial turning, repenting, and turning to the Lord from being filled with the Holy Ghost. They believed and they repented. But listen to what they said to him. They said, we have not so much as heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. Paul then told them, unto what then were you baptized? They said, unto John's baptism. Paul answered them, John verily baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe in him which should come after him, that is in Christ Jesus. Acts 19 verse 5 tells us, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and listen, and when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied and glorified God. So they were saved, and they had not even heard about the Holy Ghost. So this separates that experience, I believe. The Bible does not clearly teach that salvation comes by the laying on of hands. And again, I disagree with those that teach if you're not speaking in tongues, you're not saved. That, for me, is not the word of God. It does teach the receiving of the Holy Ghost comes by the laying on of hands. And we've seen, we've already seen there, there are exceptions to the rule. I know people that come up to the front uh, to get prayed for and the hands were laid on them. I know a lot of people like that, but they received the Holy Ghost when they went home uh, in a private place when they were praying. I know Christians who received the Holy Ghost, one of them when he was driving his car and the Holy Ghost fell on him and he couldn't stop speaking in tongues. So there are exceptions, but the general rule is when the, the, elder, when the hands are laid on to you by the elders, the apostles. So have you received the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands? That's the question we all got to answer. We need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. It most surely is an after-salvation experience according to the Word of God. Luke 10, verse 20. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's Jesus talking to the disciples. And he's assuring them that they are saved, that their names are written, as he said, in heaven. So there's an assurance there from the Lord Jesus Christ. He points out to them that their names are written in heaven. This was a full assurance of salvation. So what more could a believer desire? Yet they had not received the promised Holy Ghost. Why? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. We read that in John 7. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spoke he of the Spirit, which they that believe in him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. That promised Holy Spirit 
came and fell upon the disciples. It didn't come until 40 days after our Lord had risen from the dead. In fact, a commentator I was reading, he estimated that they actually had tarried for 10 days in the upper room. And so it was, and they were given that assurance of salvation. And then when Christ was glorified, they received the gift of the Holy Ghost, and many were saved. In Acts 8, we see Philip. And Philip is having a revival in the city of Samaria. And we know if we, when we read the whole context of that situation that not everybody was happy that he was down there preaching. But he was down there, and we've seen many saved through his ministry. In Acts 8, verse 12, it says, When they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And so he went, sent down the Lord through the, the Spirit, uh, convicted him, sent him down, led him down there. He preached the gospel, and many were saved. Now, if you stay in Acts 8 and you read for yourself four, verses 14 to 17, you will see that they had not received the Holy Ghost. Now, we know that word was sent back to Jerusalem, and there was great rejoicing, and the apostles came down to Samaria. And when we think of that, we think of the timeline here. News of the revival in Samaria, following Philip's preaching, was sent to Jerusalem. Now, the apostles, as I said, decided to go to Samaria, and I'm told that that journey would have taken five to seven days. And so when you think that it would have been five to seven days going from Samaria to Jerusalem to let the apostles know, them gathering things up and making their way to Samaria. So it was a good two weeks at least uh, after they had gone. And again, when they came down, the apostles came down, we knew that they prayed on them and they received the Holy Ghost. And this proves that the Holy Ghost is not part of the initial salvation experience. It is definitely an after salvation experience. Paul in Acts 19, 1-6 spoke with the disciples again of John the Baptist. And after teaching them, they were baptized in Jesus' name. And again, Paul laid hands on them, and they spoke with tongues and glorified the Lord. And so, church, for you to receive the Holy Ghost, obviously we have to do it the way God wants it to be done. How is it to be done? Well, let's go back to Peter in the steps of Jerusalem that we've looked at. When he was asked, what must we do, brother? And he preached to them that wonderful message he gave in Acts 2. And the Holy Spirit came down in great convicting power, and they cried out. It wasn't just, well, I would like to be saved. I know, or, well, I'm going to put my hand up. I want to be saved. These people were, 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 were thirsty, were hungry, wanted to know more, wanted to know more about Jesus, wanted to be saved. And Peter told them the biblical way. He said, repent. So that means turn around, turn from your sins. Repent, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and ye shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. Ye shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. That promise is for you. That promise is for me, that we may be filled with the Holy Ghost. Do you know in the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, you can find the other eight gifts in operation. There was discernment. There was prophecies all throughout the, New, or the Old Testament. But the New Te in the New Testament, then came the, the, the extra one, the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues was reserved for the New Testament Latter-day Church. Acts 2, 17 and 18. Again, quoting Joel 2. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. 
Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So this promise, church, if only we could grasp it, if only we could see what God wants to do in our lives. We said that the devil's going about as a roaring lion. You know, I believe the church, I'm talking about the church worldwide, it's asleep. It is conked out asleep. And if you read the parable of the wheats and the tares, when were the tares sowed amongst the wheat? When the laborers were asleep. And for years we've been too quiet. For years we've just sat back and been politically correct. And the devil has had a field day, sowing tares in amongst the, the, the world, destroying people's lives, ruining people's lives, get, <coughs> and trying to silence the church. And thankfully it's good to see the church fighting back. I don't know if you know or not, but there's a court case coming up. Uh, I think it's in England. Uh, and it's taken out against uh, the universities. Because in the universities, they have all but silenced anyone who wishes to stand up for pro what they call pro-life uh, ideology, in other words, against abortion. Lecturers have lost their jobs because they've said in the university they are pro-life. And there's a court case now coming up to stop that nonsense. So there are churches fighting back, and we need to fight back because people's lives are being destroyed. And the solution for the world today is a move of God. The solution for every problem in the world today is the Lord Jesus Christ. People need to know that. People need to hear that. And you and I need to break out of our shell of quietness and not be agitators, not be militant, not be condemning people to hell and walking about with a Bible, hitting people, but sharing the love of God, praying for people, praying genuinely for a move of God in our land, for a move of God in the church. But you know something, church? Any move of God, it starts in the individual first. You can't say, Lord, we want a revival in Northern Ireland, but we don't want anything to do with it ourselves. We've got to be open to the move of God. <clears throat> You know, the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is your, uh, I was told once, it's your endowment of power from on high. Listen to what endue means. It means to provide, to endow endued with the rights of a citizen. The rights of a citizen. This was notes I was reading uh, that were read by the late uh, Joe Hodgins. And he was talking about this. High and due means <coughs> it's the rights of a citizen. It's our rights as the citizens of the kingdom of God to receive that endowment of power from on high. It is your right. It is my right. <coughs> you know, if the queen in her celebration of her jubilee decided to honor one or two of us, we'd be on the first plane over to London. I know I would, to receive that from her. And yet God wants to pour out his spirit and the question is, am I hungry enough for it? And are you hungry enough for it? <clears throat> are we hungry for the move of God? We are citizens of the kingdom of God. And we have the right to be endued with power from on high. We have the right to, to, <clears throat> to receive a mighty move of God in our lives. Note the main thing about this to also, too, is God doesn't want to bring upon, I'll talk about me and then nobody will get offended. God doesn't want to bring upon me people to admire me. 
God doesn't want people to look at me as if my name was up in lights because I have the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is to glorify God and God alone. It's not to glorify me. And with respect, it's not to glorify you. And when God moves mightily <coughs> in our lives, as he wants to, then we need to keep ourselves humble. We need to keep ourselves humble before him. And we do that in prayer. And we do that by seeking the face of the Lord. Church, it's so easy to exalt yourself up and to be so full of your own self-importance. It just breaks my heart over the past number of weeks. I've seen so many men of God fall. You read it on social media. I read this morning, they're really sad to see this preacher from a very big church. He's decided to divorce his wife and marry her friend. And he wants to remain as the pastor. You know, that's pride. That's the lust of the flesh getting in there. And we need to, to, to pray that God would keep us in this sinful age. The Holy Spirit, you know something, it can keep you from temptation. It can keep you from going astray because it says the Holy Spirit is our guide and he leads us in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in your life. It's that convicting power in your life. It's that convicting power that you will receive to get over that thing that you can't get over, to get over that hurdle that has always stopped you, to help you climb that mountain which you've refused to climb, to help you cross that river which you've been thought is too deep. It's the Spirit of God will get you through. It's prayer. It's seeking the face of the Lord. It's fasting and praying before the Lord. It's fasting and praying, genuinely seeking God, seeking that God may be glorified through your ministry, through your church, and that all glory will go to Him, and that lives will be changed. Lives will be changed. I don't know about you, but I have unsaved loved ones and unsaved people that I know, and I don't want them to head into a lost eternity. And I mean, I've spoke to them, but you know something? I need the Holy Ghost to speak to them to convict them. It was the Holy Ghost convicted me to, 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 for me to come to church. I hadn't been invited at that time. I'd been invited many times to different churches. But it was when God started to speak to me that I felt that need to come to church. It wasn't an invitation. In fact, the truth is I actually went to a Christian and told him that I wanted to go to church. Uh, and uh, his church was up at Dundonald. And he said to me, well, there's a lovely wee church at your corner. And I kind of felt offended at that. And I think, you just think I'm waffling here and just typical Alan here. And I was kind of put off, but thank God for a good wife. She made me go. <laughs> and we went up and we walked into Strand Town on a Sunday night in November 1981. And we both gave our hearts to the Lord. But you know something, church? It was the Holy Spirit brought me there. I'd never heard of churches of God. I didn't even know, I lived in Park Avenue at the time, and I didn't even know it was a church at the top of the street, so that's how much I knew about it. But it was the Holy Ghost. And I know of a, an aunt and an uncle who are both Christians, and I know they prayed for me all their lives, and God answered their prayer. And that's what we've got to do. God answers your prayer. It's not giving up. It's praying in the Spirit. It's praying with zeal for people that you love to be saved, and praying God Convict them of their sins. Add that to your prayer when you're praying for the unsaved. Convict them, Lord. I told you as many times I laid my father to the Lord on his deathbed. Prayed for him for years. And yet it was on his deathbed that he gave his heart to the Lord. One of my granddad Lee was the same. On his deathbed. In one of my aunt's house, he was up the stairs on his own. 
and everyone was around him. We were waiting on him to die. And I had to believe it was the, the, the move of God. All of a sudden, everybody went downstairs for tea, and I had a chance to talk to my grandfather. And I said, Granda, you need to turn to the Lord. And he just looked at me and smiled and nodded. He couldn't speak. And I said, I'm going to pray for you. And he held my hand and he nodded as I prayed. And I thank the Lord for that church. And I'm sure everyone here can testify of people that they've led to the Lord. What I'm saying is the Holy Ghost convicts. The Holy Ghost gives you situations. I'll, 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 go, I'll tell you the story of my dad because that's definitely God's hand too. And I say this, that you trust the Lord. Jean and I were in Tenerife. And we just got back from holiday. <clears throat> my dad... After my mom died, he died. He took uh, tablets to help him sleep at night. They didn't work. And so he began to take a whiskey. And one whiskey at night turned to one bottle of whiskey in the morning, one bottle of whiskey in the afternoon. He became an alcoholic. But anyhow, we had just come back from Tenerife. We just got home, and my eldest sister, Kathy, rang. Alan, my dad's in hospital, and things aren't good. So I went up to the hospital, couldn't get talking to him as everybody was there. Uh, as I say, then <coughs> I, was about a, I think it was about three days, me and my sisters took turns of sitting with him. And he was unconscious and wasn't speaking. And then one, uh, the, one of the mornings, I used to go up in the mornings, and one of the mornings, I think it was the morning before he died, he began to come around a wee bit. Uh, he was in, in a, I don't think he was in a coma, but it's something like that. But anyhow, he came around a bit. And he looked at me, and then I had the opportunity. No one else was there. There wasn't even a nurse near us. And I spoke to him, and I said, Dad, you know you need to give your heart to the Lord. Pray with me now. And he did, and he gave his heart to the Lord, and he died the next day. Church, that's the Holy Spirit. And that opportunity is given to each one of us. And you know the thing that scares me? How many opportunities have I missed? I'm being honest with you here. Has God let, help, let me talk to someone? And yet I've missed it. And yet I've missed it. You know what? Yesterday they came to collect my car. It's about an accident. My car door was damaged. And the guy, it wouldn't close, so they sent someone out to see if he could get the door closed. But in talking to that guy, it just shows you the way God opens up opportunities. He spoke about his illness. He had cancer, uh, really bad, hard treatment. <coughs> Uh, it wasn't going to go away, then it did eventually go away and left him with a lot of pain. But it was just that opportunity then to talk about the Lord. And now we didn't pray or anything, but you just pray that that seed that is planted. And church, that's the Holy Ghost. When we talk about the Holy Ghost being your guide, He is your guide. He'll give you that someone that is sitting in the coffee bar beside you. He'll give you that friend that you work with will one day say to you, you know, I'm worried about my wife, I'm worried about my son, I'm worried about son. Church, take that opportunity because that's from God. And look, you don't have to open your Bible and start telling them they're a terrible sinner. What I've found always works is would you mind if I prayed for you? Some of them say no, and I say, well, I'll, I'll pray when I go home privately. Some of them say yes. That's the Holy Ghost moving through you, moving through you, giving you that opportunity to help bridge that gap that has been put, placed in their lives by their sins. Church, we need a move of the Holy Spirit. We need it in our lives. 
as I've said, I've spoke to other ministers and they've all said that this is what they've been teaching. Funny enough, just speaking to Pastor David Purse, and believe it or not, he's just finished a 33-week series on the move of the Holy Ghost. And they had a service and many were filled with the Holy Ghost. And there's other ministers that I know are doing the same thing. God is talking to them. And God is, what they're preaching and what they're teaching is the gifts of the Spirit, the move of God in the body of Christ. Church, that's for a reason. When people you haven't spoke to each other about a certain thing find out they're both talking about the same thing, in fact, not both, quite a few, then you know God wants to do something. God wants to move amongst his people. Look at the world, listen to the news, listen to what's going on out there. It's, you, you think it can't get any worse. And then you hear stupid things like children itself identifying as a cat and nobody's allowed to say anything. Really? Is that how bad the world's become? And are we concerned enough to seek the face of the Lord? Are we concerned enough to ask God to use us? Are we concerned enough to say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need thy spirit. I need the infilling of the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> we want to see signs and wonders. Then we've got to be humble before the Lord and seek the face of the Lord. We've got to pray. We've got to look at our prayer lives and we've got to pray. We'll fast when there's something tragic going on in their lives. When someone we know is very ill, we'll certainly fast. If there's a situation, maybe a bad employment situation, something going on in our own lives, we'll fast, we'll seek the face of the Lord. But are we prepared to fast and seek the Lord for this nation, to seek the Lord for our church? Are we prepared to spend time in prayer, seeking the face of the Lord? Church, can I ask you a question? How long do you spend in prayer? Like, don't put up your hand and don't shout out. How long do you spend in prayer? Because that will tell you how hungry you are for God. I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad here because I really need to step up my prayer life, I'm telling you. How long do you spend talking to the Lord? Just reading about the old preachers and there's this Chinese guy preaching on it. I don't know his name. He's one of the largest churches in the world. And he was talking how he could pray for several hours. And he found it amazing when visiting European and American preachers came to his church that they could barely pray for 10 minutes. Now, he definitely has a ministry of prayer. But we've got to look at ourselves and say, how long am I spending before the Lord? Because it shows how hungry I am for God to move. How hungry I am for I want God in my life. You know, when I went out with Jean, I was with her every night in the week, trying to talk her into marrying, marrying me in the full given. But I was hungry. I wanted to be with her. I knew she was the one. Don't tell her I said that. She'd be all pleased. But, but am I, do I love God that much that I spend time talking to him? Do I? Do I love God that much that I would refuse to miss the house of the Lord unless I was ill or had to work or maybe on holiday? You see, we need to measure our own hunger for God. Not my hunger, your hunger you need to measure. And God wants to 
Church, I, I don't even think I'm saying the right words, to be honest with you. God wants to fill you with His Spirit. Think about that. Pray about that. Come together for prayer on a Wednesday evening. Come together for prayer in the foyer at 10 a.m. I know it can be a hard time for, for people to make it, getting families and all here. If I understand that, God understands that. But if you can be here, why not be here? And show God your hunger. Show God your thirst for the move of God in our lives, in our church, and in our land. We sing, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Think about what you're saying there. Because what they're telling you there is that deer's life depends on the water. If it doesn't get to the water, it will die. And that's what the psalmist is telling us. If he didn't get into the house of the Lord, if he didn't get into the presence of the Lord, it would be like a death to him. He was so hungry. He was so thirsty for God.